We're going to open this morning at Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to read the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. We're, we're going to take some life lessons from this. And we're going to think this morning about temptation. What we do with our temptation. We'll begin reading from verse 7 to verse 23, the end of the passage. And it says this. And after the time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled the house, she called to the men of the, her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and cried out with a loud voice. As soon as you heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And then she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as he lifted up, as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, This way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So we bow our heads and pray. Our awesome Lord and God, we ask that you would come and you would still our heart. Lord, today as we contemplate our battles with temptation and sin, and the glorious hope that there is for us in Christ Jesus. Would you speak to each of us in you, we pray. Amen. This morning I want us to consider temptation. I want us to consider the temptations that we face. And the boundaries that we can put in place when we are faced with them. Our lives are full of boundaries. Train platforms have boundaries. High buildings have some kind of boundary to stop you plummeting over the side. Unsafe bits of road have markings around them, hopefully, that keep us safe. We have our personal space boundary. If anybody gets too close to us, we back away because we like our space. These are all boundaries that are put in place to protect people. 
whether it's the line that you stand behind so you don't get hit by a train, whether it's so you don't fall off a building, so you don't ruin your car or bike, and to keep our children safe in playgrounds. Boundaries are vitally important. They help protect us and they keep us safe. And this applies to us in a spiritual sense as Christians. Boundaries keep us safe. Boundaries keep us clear of evil and help us as we seek to become more like Christ. I want to open with a question. If you were offered an opportunity to sin and you knew that no one would find out what you have done, would you indulge in that sin? I would tell you to turn to the person next to you and answer that question, but I might be a bit awkward. Maybe this is a sin that you have committed before. Maybe it's something you've had great pleasure from. Or maybe it's something you've heard other people talk about and you thought, you know what, they really enjoyed it, so I would too. But we know that our sinfulness drives this wedge between us and God. What does darkness have to do with light? Nothing. What does light have to do with darkness? Nothing. Because they are polar opposites. So how does God look at us when we refuse to give up living in the ways of this world to embrace the holiness that God requires? Is it not utter foolishness of us to think that there is such thing as secret sin? How ridiculous is it for us to think that there is anything that we can hide from God? Yet despite this, how many of us buckle under the weight of temptation every single day of our life? We live in a world where accountability is shunned. There is no such thing as absolute truth and pleasure is whatever you make it out to be. So it begs the question, how can we as Christians remain holy in this world? In the environment that we find ourselves in? I want to open first verses 7 to 12 and look at the temptations. After Joseph was sold by his brothers, they then sold him on to this man named Potiphar. One of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, seems like a reasonable and pretty decent guy. And as soon as he learned that everything that he touched, that Joseph touched, flourished, he put him in charge of loads of things. He gave him the head job of the household. Everything that was done in the house and the field went through Joseph. Now, either due to his success or his rugged good looks, Potiphar's wife soon took notice of him. She lusted over him and shamefully she asked him to lie with her. Joseph immediately refused the request, saying, My master has kept back from me everything except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Brilliant. The potential temptation is in front of him. He nails it. But day after day after day, he is confronted with this temptation. And his response is just fantastic. He not only refuses to to acknowledge the request, but he refused, it tells us in verse 10, to listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. What does he do? He flees from the temptation that is in front of him. And in the hope of this secret opportunity that would entice adultery, she sets up this ambush. Everybody's gone. There is nobody else in that house. 
There is two of them. When Joseph came into the house to perform his duty, she commanded him to come to bed with her and grabbed his cloak. But Joseph, so terrified with the possibility of his integrity being compromised, of him sinning against God, he pulled away and he ran. He didn't just run to another side of the house, but he ran from the house. And I think one of the life lessons we can learn from this is that temptation is not a part-time experience for us as Christians. It is something that each and every one of us deals with and lives with all the time. And we know that temptation looks different for everyone. Maybe it's a fight against addiction. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be a screen addiction, it could be an addiction to lust and lustful things. Maybe your temptations are idols, money, success, status. The temptation to put our self-worth and our security in who we are and not in God. All of these things are temptation. I want to consider the picture of a lion. We find 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If a lion goes and attacks its prey and it misses, the lion doesn't think, this isn't for me, I'm going to go be a vegetarian. But the lion goes again and again and again and again until it gets its feet. That's instinct, that's what they do. If a lion doesn't catch the antelope by the water, if it has no success at the water, it moves to the bushes. If it has no success at the bushes, it moves on to the place where they know they can find and take their prey. How can lions catch their prey? Because they don't know that the lion is coming. Because they are stealthy animals that prowl. Satan prowls. Always seeking for someone to devour. And who are we to think that we on our own can avoid the mouth of this lion? Because Satan can't get to you today. Simply means that he will try again tomorrow. And the next day and the day that follows. And you know we know that as believers the old self is gone. But that doesn't mean that the old self doesn't still entice us. The evil desires of the heart that are gone. There is still something of that that appeals to us. That is sadly the effects of the sinfulness of this world. In wrestling with sin, the Apostle Paul asked the following question. Why is it that the good I want to do, I can't do? And the evil I don't want to do, I do all the time. Do you know, when we enter into this world, we enter into this spiritual battlefield every single day. And I love it, 2 Corinthians 10.5, to overcome temptation, Paul says to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take that temptation, take it to Christ. We can avoid the mouth of the lion, but we can't on our own. Another lesson we learn from Joseph here and his temptation is that the reason he avoided sinning was not based on the probability of him being caught and it being made out in public, but it was his genuine desire to remain in good relationship with God. 
Would you sin if you knew no one was watching? In an American survey, they found 74% of men would commit adultery if they thought they could not get caught. Women aren't much better at 68% of that survey. But that doesn't make adultery right in God's eyes. The fact that nobody else has seen it doesn't make it right. But Joseph knew that even though there was nobody else there, there was nobody to witness this adultery, he still refused to have sex with this woman because he knew that God would see it, that it would grieve God, and that it would offend God. Why would we think that God rewards us for the good deeds done in secret, but would not punish us for the sins that are also done in secret? And the truth of that is that secret sins are secret from other people, but not from God. Why? Because God is present. Because God is everywhere. His spirit dwells within us. And the challenge from that is our motivation to not give in to temptation must not be based on the probability of being caught, but it must be based on our desire to follow God. Why? Because Jesus purchased our lives with his own. Who you are is more important than what you do. God cares about our heart in private when we are on our own, when there is nobody else around. That is when it counts. Joseph was alone. Nobody would have known. But he knew that his sin would grieve God. So what should we do with our sin? This story stresses how important it is for us to have boundaries in our life that are set in accordance with the word of God. That the moment temptation comes our way, we flee. We flee from the presence of Satan. Satan knows the right temptations to get to you. Satan knows that putting a heroin needle in front of me is not what is going to tempt me. But he knows the things in my life that he can get to me through. I want to use the analogy of a swimming pool. For some people, entering a swimming pool is done by just running and jumping. Diving, bombing if you're not that graceful like me. But there's, there's lots of ways to enter into a swimming pool. And for those that are in love with the ways of this world, all Satan must do is offer an opportunity to sin. And we're all in. We are running before he can even finish tempting us. Without giving any thought of God, we are straight in that pool. But for others, there is a pool that our toes are dipped into. Then a foot, then a leg, then we take a plunge. Satan knows that we will not just plunge into the depths of our sinfulness. But it starts in the small. It starts with the smallest things. Joseph fled what must have been the most awkward moment of his life. He humiliated a woman of serious power and status. 
And I imagine in that moment that he knew that the consequence, the earthly consequence for avoiding that sin was going to be great for him. Did he care? He knew what was right. He knew that no matter what comes my way, I will not give in to temptation. How much more faithful would we be to God if we ran away than indulge sinful, tempting thoughts? John Owen, the great Puritan, wrote, One of the deceptions of prevailing sin is to play down its guilt, saying in effect, is it not a little one? Don't let that be us. Let us understand that all sin grieves God. Let us not compare sin with sin, but let us say that whatever the sin, it grieves God. We must not try to be a people that justifies our sin. Joseph, I'm sure, could have tried to justify his sin. To be adored by this great woman could have taken him to great places. Though he didn't know what was still to come for him and how God would use him. It's no good for us to say, okay, I've lost it. I have wanted, I've become jealous, but at least I didn't kill someone. We love to compare. We love to try and wrestle our way out of our sin. My sin isn't as bad as theirs. It could be worse. But our sin grieves God. We must not entertain our sin. We must flee from it. I want to read you this quote. Suppose a man finds a particular lust to be powerful, strong and violent. It takes him captive. He is troubled by it and it takes away his peace. He is not able to bear it. He sets himself against it, prays against it, groans against it and sighs to be delivered. But in the meantime, perhaps in other duties, in communion with God, in reading, prayer and meditation and in other ways, he is loose and negligent. He will not be able to gain the victory over that lost why was joseph able to resist temptation you open chapter 39 in verse 2 the lord was with joseph in verse 3 the lord was with him Uh, the lord caused him Uh, the lord caused that all he did to succeed in verse 5 the lord was on all that he had in verse 9 how then can i do this great wickedness and sin against god he is focused upon god in verse 21 the lord was with joseph And in verse 23, the Lord was with him. The Lord made it succeed. There is this continuation the whole way through this story of the God that is with Joseph. Also of the Joseph right in the middle of there that said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There is a man that understands that God is with him. That he understands what God has done for him. He understands that everything he has is down to God. And he turns to him first. How can we overcome our sin and temptations if we are not walking in our daily lives with God? And I just want to turn to my second point. Our rewards for obedience to God, verses 13 to 23 humiliated by this rejection of her proposition, Potiphar's wife summons the servants. 
her lying tongue used his robes as evidence in her hand to say that he came to her. She even went as far as to suggest that it was her husband's fault that this man was brought into their home. These lies are a cruel, cruel attack on Joseph's unquestionable innocence and integrity. But Potiphar, as this husband, had no choice but to respond to it. And he became angry. Whether he was so angry because he knew he was losing his best man. Whether he was so angry because of what he was accused of with his wife. Potiphar put Joseph into the king's prison. A place for political offenders. A place for serious people. But the Lord was with Joseph. He was recognised as this man of trustworthiness and success. And was placed in charge of all of the prisoners and what was done there. I love this picture. That this man of integrity has everything stripped away from him. So how does he respond to that? With integrity. Doesn't matter where he is. Doesn't matter what is around him. This man says who I am. My relationship with God comes before anything that I face round about me. From this we learn that overcoming temptations often comes with this tarnished reputation in this world. Because Joseph declined her command to sleep with her, she tarnished his name to all the other servants, to her husband, and has him put in prison. You know, Jesus tells us that we do not belong to this world, for they will not accept our deeds because they point to light. This world is a dark and difficult place, and light and dark are opposite. They don't blend together. There is light or there is not. Christians who do what is right in the eyes of God can expect this reputation in the world to be far from perfect. Do you know, Joseph could have been like so many people in this world. He could have given in to this beautiful woman. He could have slept with her. She wouldn't just have been tolerated by her, but he would have been adored by her. When we choose to not only read of God, but to obey the commands of God. When we choose not to live in the darkness, but when we let our light shine before others, in that we can expect sharp criticism. But we must stand our ground. We must be the people of truth. We cannot be people pleasers. If Joseph was a people pleaser, this story would have been vastly different. That's a challenge for me as much as it is for anyone. But we know all we've got to do is open our Bibles to see that living a life for God means being exposed to great persecution. Yes, we're unlikely to be thrown into a lion's den like Daniel. We're not likely to be thrown into the furnace like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We're not likely to receive 40 minus 1, 39 lasses like Paul did on several occasions. But we shouldn't be surprised if God asks us to receive unjust treatment for righteousness. Shake. Sake. 
What made Joseph's imprisonment so terrible is it was so utterly unjust. Many Christians experience public ridicule. The loss of promotions, family members, friends, just for mentioning the name of Jesus. Whilst the insults are not as unjust as standing in an arena being torn apart by lions, it is still painful. It is still hard. But yet, it is in those fiercest of injustices that our light tends to shine most brightly. It is in those most difficult moments when we are faced with temptation at the greatest of levels that we are able to shine for Jesus greater than we can at other times. This is the God that we serve. This is the one who brought us into salvation. The one who gave us victory over the grave. Victory from sin. What does Joseph do? He trusts in God. He gives God everything that he has. And God was with him. I just want to read you a second quote from John Owen that has that, that just sat with me this week. It says this. Set your faith upon Christ for the killing of your sin. His blood is the great sovereign remedy for the sin sick soul. Live in the light of Christ's great work and you will die a conqueror. You will, through the good providence of God, live to see your lust dead at your feet. <coughs> the favour of God is upon Joseph. I don't need to go into that and tell you that because we follow Jesus, therefore everything's going to be marvellous and wonderful and we're going to be covered in success. But we're told that God was with him. And we see what happens. We see that he becomes in charge of this prison. That he does so much. Why would we settle for the riches of this world? Why would we settle for the things that bring us short term pleasure. When we can store up our treasure in our eternal home. Temptation is temptation because we like it. Temptation is temptation because it is things that we want to do. But our sufferings and our persecutions that are in this world is nothing compared to the blessings that we receive when Christ returns. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So what do we do? The next time Satan seeks to devour you. The next time that temptation draws near to you. What do we do? We draw nearer to God and we run from our sin. That might be awkward. Okay. That might be difficult. That might put you in a really awkward position in your office, in your school, whatever it is. And that's massive. And that scares us. But we must flee our sin. Joseph would not give in to temptation. 
Joseph wouldn't even entertain what was right in front of him that nobody else could see. Why? Because God came first. So the simple question, does God come first for you? Where are the areas of your life this morning that you know your temptations are? Bring them to God. Speak to somebody trustworthy. Gain good counsel from them. Talk about it. Take it to God. And pray about it. I don't know where you stand before God this morning. Maybe you are surrounded by the weight of the temptation that is upon you. Maybe it feels like you are fighting a losing battle. Maybe you're so engulfed by your temptation, it's now not even temptation, it is just the way that you live. The glorious news of Jesus is that there is hope for you this morning. But it is only found in one place. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never considered, or if you know that you need to get right with God, this morning amongst this family of God's people is the place to do that. We have the gospel so wonderfully summed up in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That hope, that grace, that freedom from all that is wrong in this world is there for each and every one of us this morning. Be renewed this morning. Bring your broken heart afresh before God. Whatever it is, whatever baggage you come in here with this morning, bring it before God. Joseph knew the glory of God. He knew how glorious he was. But he also knew the ugliness of sin that faced him. Let us remember what we are saved from. But let us run to Christ. Let us run away from our sin. When it comes knocking on our door, whenever it may be, whatever it may be, may we be a people that stand strong. May we be a people that say, I want Jesus, and I don't want this one. Let's pray. God, it is humbling for us to come into your presence. It is humbling for us to come together as your people. You are such a great and awesome God. You are the sovereign one who is above all, yet loves and cares for us so intimately. You are the God that in the hardest of moments is with us. You are the God that brings peace, love, hope and joy into even the darkest corners of our globe and Lord we pause for a second just to bring before you our brothers and sisters around this world that face the reality of persecution this morning 
For those that know to gather in your name means struggle, means difficulty, means hardship. Lord, we ask that you would encourage our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world this morning. As some gather together, as some can't, would your blessing be upon them. We thank you that you are a good and a faithful God. Would we be a faithful people? In your name we pray. Amen.